Hey, Changemakers, welcome to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Warrilow, and I have another great guest lined up for you today. Now, this podcast, it's about change and transformation, but not just any old change. We believe in change for good, which lies at the intersection of three things, personal, professional, and social transformation. So come with us on a journey as we go behind the scenes with people who are making a real difference in our world. Each episode, we're going to be diving deeply into topics at the intersection. Sometimes we'll be interviewing thought leaders and sometimes we'll be leading deep dive conversations, tackling the challenging issues of our times. But before I introduce today's guests, I want to ask a quick favor. It won't take a minute and it would make a huge difference to us. Would you please go to iTunes or whatever app you're listening to, subscribe and leave a rating and review. It helps us share our message of inspirational change with as many people as we can. And it helps our guests get their messages out to more people too. So thank you. Our guest on the podcast this week is my good friend, Lisa Bloom, founder of Story Coach. She works with organizations developing transformational story leaders, creative yet resilient cultures, and leading powerful change processes with the power of storytelling. Lisa helps entrepreneurs and business owners find their confidence to attract ideal clients and live their success story. And she trains coaches to use storytelling as a powerful approach to impact their clients and grow their business. Now, Lisa and I, we've known each other for, well, many years now. She's an incredible storyteller, an accredited coach, an author, a mentor, and a leadership expert. And her work is truly groundbreaking. And she's often invited to the stage where she speaks internationally about her unique approach to business and leadership and coaching. And she's also the author of a new book, The Story Advantage, Unleash the Power of Storytelling to Engage, Inspire and Influence, and the creator of the Stories That Sell Mastery and Certified Story Coach programs. Welcome, Lisa, my friend. (laughs) Thank you. It's great to be here. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to dive into conversation with you and and share you with the Sacred Changemakers audience because we have had some amazing conversations in our time, Lisa. (laughs) We certainly have. We certainly have. I think it's been more than a decade actually since we met. I think it has. (laughs) I think it has, which is kind of scary to confess to. But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, and you know, our listeners have just heard your bio and I'd love to start you in a space where you know, I asked you to share a little bit about, you know, the real life human that is behind that bio. Tell a little bit about, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you've got to where you are today. Sure. Um, So, you know, I started like many of us just working in organizations, working in learning and development. And I really fell in love with that moment of, um, I guess, the moment of adult learning, that moment where suddenly, you know, eyes light up and people kind of shift into an awareness of something new. And I fell in love with that in the corporate classroom initially. But what I also noticed was that when I would tell stories, people would react differently. People would really engage and pay attention. And so what started out as just something that was kind of came naturally to me and was almost amusing. I started to realize that when I when I told stories and when I shared stories, people interacted differently and they connected both with me and with each other. And they even, they even retained more and learned more. And so when I left corporate and I started thinking about starting my own business, 
I, I realized that storytelling was going to be somewhere in that. And it was at a time before storytelling was really a thing in businesses or in organizations. So I, I kind of felt like I was onto something, something that was new, but also age old, you know, nothing that I had invented and yet something that was so powerful. Mm. And that's so true because, I mean, I remember you and Story Coach and, and, and talking to you about stories in those early days of our relationship when, I mean, you really were a pioneer in this space because now, mm. you know, you look around and there's a lot of people talking about story and the narrative arc and different things in business. But you were someone who was talking about this before it was kind of in the zeitgeist, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, I used to tell people that I was a storyteller and they would say, oh, so you work with children? And I would say, <laughs> no, never, never, never. <laughs> but like it, it began with this realization that um, aside from my experience of kind of using storytelling and coaching and, and, and in, in, in speaking and in, in training and so on, it was just this basic realization that essentially we're all telling stories all the time. And when we have this experience of, um, something happens in our lives, something unexpected, the first thing, the most basic human instinct is we go tell someone, we go tell the story. And, and my realization early on that really made the difference for me was this realization that the story we tell after we've had this experience is almost entirely made up. You know, there's only a few percentage of pure facts. The rest is what we make up. And yet we call the story we tell you know, the truth, we, we, right. we say, this is how it happened. And, and that becomes the story we tell pretty much forever, whether or not it serves us and whether or not this, you know, essentially the story that we've completely made up, almost completely made up, suddenly becomes our truth, it becomes our reality. And so I started to notice that as we change the story, our reality changes. And of course, as a coach, that became an incredibly powerful tool. And I started thinking about, well, how do we use this as a coaching approach? And how do we use this to really shift people's awareness of, of what, you know, of how we essentially craft what we call our reality and, and therefore can change it and create a reality that serves us more gently, more kindly, and, and in a more empowered way. Mm -hmm. Just listening to you say that then, I don't think I've ever heard you articulate it in that way. Mm -hmm. And I love the way you're talking about the fact that, you know, something happens in our life and then we tell a story about it because you're right. We don't think of that as being made up facts. We think we're just recounting a factual like, account of what's happened. But of course, mm -hmm. we're not. And, and, that... and one of the, sorry, <laughs> like one of the best evidences of that is when, you and a sibling or you and a partner experience something and then a few weeks later you talk about it and you both tell completely different stories yeah. about the same event and i mean i i know that my sister and i occasionally will talk about something and i remember recently turning around to her and saying did we grow up in the same home like how is it possible <laughs> that you tell that story in that way and yet i experienced it so entirely differently and the same with you know so many of our the the, the kind of arguments you have with a partner are around you know, the dinner you went on three weeks ago or three months ago or five years ago, and you have entirely different memories. And yet we see the story as being factual and being real and being, you know, the only possible version. And it never is. Right. And as you're saying that, I'm realizing we have kind of stories within stories as well, don't we? It's like, because if I think about my life and I think about, you know, the stories that I'm telling, because right in this moment, that's where I'm going. I'm realizing that 
it's almost like I'm piercing the bubble of illusion and it's like, it's all story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is it all story? Yeah. Uh, I actually think it is all story. And um, that doesn't mean it's not real. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, I, I look at this from, again, from a, a coaching perspective, but also mm-hmm. from just a, a, just a, a human being, you know, it's like the story that we tell is the story that we have created for a reason. And we need to, even if we discover that the story is, is no longer serving us, we created it at a certain time, point in time because it did serve us at that time. Sometimes it was the story that helped us survive the situation. So I have the utmost respect for all stories, even if they're stories that ultimately hurt us or keep us small or keep us disempowered, we still have to respect it before we can release it or before we can transform it. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I never want to... Um, allow myself disrespect for my own stories. I want to be able to always honor them and respect them and and equally let them go when necessary and transform them into stories that are more powerful and will create the reality that I now desire. Mm. Yeah. And I can't help but think here, like I'm listening to you talking about story and releasing stories that are not supporting you and transforming others. And, and I'm, I'm kind of in this space where I'm, I'm really feeling like what you're telling me here is almost to reclaim the word story for myself in a way that makes sense. Cause I do go to childhood and I do go to fables and fairy tales and that kind of meaning is what I attach to the word story, but it's almost like you're speaking to a deeper sense of, of mm-hmm. ex- human experience. Let's put it that way. Well, I think there are many, many levels of story. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think if I can speak to one particular kind of um, understanding I came to some years ago, and, and I, maybe I'll tell a little story to, to give, you know, some of the background, but I, I was invited to an entrepreneurial event in California some years back. And I, you know, I was, I was very happy to be invited. It was for people who had a you know, gotten to a certain level within their business in terms of both revenue and reputation. And I ended up going to this event and it was a room full of what, you know, one would label as successful people, many of them online entrepreneurs or in the self-development space. And when I walked into the room, I had this awareness of kind of a, a space of almost like this space of celebration and abundance and, um, you know, really beautiful kind of squeaky, clean, shiny people and attitudes. And, you know, it was all really lovely. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed over the two or three days that I was there was that every time I went to the bathroom, um, I would overhear conversations from the same people who were in that room. But these were conversations about, um, about their their divorces and about their illnesses and about cancer and about children who'd gone astray and all all kinds of um, stories, all kinds of realities that they were living. And I realized that I had this amazing kind of moment of realization that in the room, in the, in the conference room, this was the outer story. And in the bathroom, this was the inner story. And somehow the people for whom the outer and inner story were so vastly separate I realized they were the people that I didn't feel very drawn to. I didn't feel they were, you know, I I didn't feel close to, or I didn't feel like I could approach because somehow there was something about them that felt inauthentic. And this is 
before I'd heard the, you know, the, the, the bathroom conversations. But what I realized, and this began a thought process that went to research, and I spent many years thinking about this, was that there, there is an outer story and there's an inner story, and there's also a need for some kind of integration between the two in order to create an authentic presence in people. Mm -hmm. And I think this is true, not just of people, I think it's true of products, I think it's true of organizations, I think it's true of movements, that if the outer and inner story don't have some kind of integration, don't have some kind of um, emergence um, and, and some kind of sense of whole, then what suffers is the, almost like the legitimacy, but certainly the authenticity of that person, organization, product or movement. And so, you know, I think these are two very clear layers of story. And that's before you, you layer on the story of, you know, society, the story of history, the story of generations, the story of religion. And, you know, there's so many constructs mm. that bring with them stories. So this to me is a very, very complex part of identity. And, you know, and then of course there's the no story space, which is something entirely different as wow. well. Like, I mean, there are just so many different layers. What I'm, interested in and have always been interested in is is presence and authenticity and and just being a force for positivity and good in the world and that requires almost a um it's almost like a purity of story and an honesty around story and also an, an honoring of the stories that we that we come with and the complexity of all that oh. so I, i'm not sure i feel like there's so many layers i'm not sure i'm making sense but um, that's a, a beginning of how I'm beginning to how how I've come to see this. Mm. And I I love that because it's actually taken me right back to conversations we were having in 2011. I know that, or I think it's 2011, just before the London ICF conference when we were talking about doing something together. Because yeah. I remember yeah, you talk, yes. Yeah. Because yeah. that's very much the way my work developed as well in this outer inner and then the gap between mm -hmm. the two. And yeah. I love that, you know, in, in many ways, you're giving people a very clear starting point, but it's a felt experience, isn't it? Because your mm. inner story and your outer story, I would imagine listeners listening to this right now could intuitively just give us a sense, right? Give themselves a sense of how far apart those two things are. So when you find that gap and they're not integrated, mm -hmm. like what, what can you do to, or what, what, what's your guidance, your advice really for, for those people that, you know, if they are so far apart, it's going to be impacting everything in their life. Yeah, it is. Um, and I think it relates very often to our values and it relates to our lifestyle and it relates to the work that we do. And, mm -hmm. you know, we all feel when we're living a story that's inauthentic or where we're living a story that doesn't resonate or doesn't feel aligned with our values. And so, you know, it's really, really important to identify that and then to, to, to understand, you know, where that's coming from. And so there's an interesting concept that I picked up, um, around story where you know i i think that um when you're living out a certain story that is out of alignment with who you are or who you want to be or, mm. you know out of alignment with your values very often it's somebody else's story mm. so it was it came from somewhere else and so an example might be um 
you know, comments that you picked up in your childhood that led you to believe um, that you were not smart, let's say. Mm -hmm. And so you, you live a story that usually when that story exists within us, we articulate it without even noticing half the time in the depth, you know, the self-deprecating way we behave or in the ways in which we, you know, don't avail of opportunities or don't jump at opportunities because we don't have the confidence to do so. We're living out the story of not being smart enough. And the truth is that that story is not yours. You know, it's not yours to live out. That story belongs to the person who told it to you, which may have been a parent or a teacher or, you know, a wicked aunt or, you know, a child, a childhood friend or so-called friend. But for some reason, that's the story that we hung on to, that we believed and that we lived out. Mm-hmm. And so as you begin to identify that situation in life that feels inauthentic or feels full of conflict or feels painful, that's the point where you have to think about, well, what story am I living? Where did it come from? Who owns it? And I remember uh, being at a Byron Katie conference some years back, and she talked about this idea that um, it's kind of like um, plagiarism. You know, when you, when you borrow in academia, when you borrow somebody else's story and call it your own, you're, it's plagiaristic and you, you know, you get, thrown out of you know you get thrown into jail or whatever or get thrown out of the university and and yet we live through lives plagiarizing other people's stories in our own lives and creating you know an an ending amount of of conflict and difficulty in our lives because we're plagiarizing somebody else's story about us i love that idea i love that concept Ah. that, that when we find the owner of the story we can give it back we can refuse to continue to tell it we can decide that we will no longer plagiarize somebody else's story about us and just begin to create our own. And so I'm of the firm belief that when you're experiencing pain and conflict and difficulty in your life, it's usually because there's a story you're playing out that, you know, there's a story you're believing, there's a story you're telling yourself. And it's, it's usually this nasty little hidden away story. And when you can identify it, you can notice that it doesn't belong to you. You can notice that it's not true because it is never true. And you can begin to create the stories that give you a sense of empowerment. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, the way that, that you just kind of articulated that was so elegant and makes so much sense. And there's a, it reminded me of, um, it's a while back now, it's a few years ago, I was in one of these curiosity kind of curio shops and mm. um, my husband picked up a, uh, it was um, a coaster and on it, it said, sometimes I open my mouth and my mother comes out. <laughs> and, you know, and it just, that's, that's kind of what you're talking about is that I was mm. unconsciously like speaking a story that belonged to my mother. And mm. I, particularly in relationship to my children, it was a parenting story. And mm. it's like, yeah, I had to notice it first to be able mm. to transform it into something that felt feels a lot more like like my way not hers Mm. now you mentioned something before about no story space I can't imagine Mm. what that is (laughs) please tell me (laughs) yeah um you know I think the no story space is when you it's a difficult thing to talk about because it feels very um I guess it feels very abstract but it's Mm. You know, we, we, we live in story. We live in the story of our identity, essentially. You know, we live with our story of being a, 
you know, a partner, a child, a mother, father, you know, a parent, a mm-hmm. sibling, a friend. And the story we tell ourselves about our lives are often made up of these roles or our history or, you know, past future. And in the moment that we're actually breathing, living right now, there is no story because it's just now. Mm. And so the no story space, it's, a, it's an incredibly difficult place to live in, I think. And, and there are some people, you know, some amazing people in the world who've achieved this space and who live, seem to be living in it all the time. And, you know, I think most of us only get to fleet through it on occasions. Um, but I think to aspire to a place where you no longer need a story in order to have an identity, in order to feel, um, you know, to feel validated somehow. I mean, and an, an example of this, I'm taking this to a slightly different place, but an example of this is how, um, you know, Brené Brown talks about the stories that we tell around, um, again, part of our identity. She talks about, you know, how we wake up in the morning tired, you know, with, with, a, with a sense of lack. We haven't had enough sleep. We haven't, um, you know, we, we don't have the right clothes to wear or we don't, we're not slim enough when we look in the mirror or we're not, you know, there's, there's an awful lot of lack. But the story about being tired. Now, I have kids, as you know, and mm-hmm. I, I spent years feeling tired because that's what happens when you have young kids. Mm-hmm. But I realized at some point in time that that story of being tired was somehow the story that made me feel like I had worth. So if I was tired, it meant I was busy and I was functional and I was doing good things and I was taking care of my family. And so I identified with being tired as having purpose and having meaning. And I hated it when I realized that. I I realized I don't want being tired to be some kind of symbol of my, you know, that validates my existence. It makes no sense. And it was time to let go of the story of being tired you know? And so people, and and to this day, people look at me sometimes and say, oh, you look tired. And I always like, now I'm adamant. No, I'm not tired. (laughs) You know, it's like, I won't even admit (laughs) to it when I am, but it's like, I don't want that to be the story of who I am. In the same way people can go through the most terrible trauma and then be defined by the trauma as if the the trauma is the only thing that defines them, that that's the story of who they are. And I think the no story spaces when you just show up and, you know, I, I, I remember going on a retreat, um, and, when I was packing and I was heading out. And in fact, um, I remember it was one of the times we met um, because I, I, we met up just before I went on this retreat. And I remember packing my bag and telling my kids that I would have no contact with them for the next 10 days and telling my, mm. my clients that I would be gone and, and closing down my computer and saying goodbye to my family and saying goodbye to my mother. And I was no longer mother. I was no longer um, partner, I was no longer sister, child, or coach, or business owner. I was just a person getting on a plane to go to the other side of the world to to do this retreat, and it was terrifying because the stories were all falling away, and it was just I was just left with the moment that I was living, and initially it felt terrifying, but within a few days it was euphoric. It was beautiful. It was just so powerful. But it's rare for us to live like that because our stories just create our our moment by moment living and 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 a lot of meaning for us. So it, again, it's something to be honored and respected, and it plays an important part in how we live our lives. And you just made me realize something. So for me, and you know, it might be different for other people, but 
I know that no story space and I know it through my connection with the sacred, right? That's Mm. a word that I'm using more and more now, but it's almost like Jane's identity moves to the side and I, I let all that fall away so that I can express or channel, you know, like whatever it is that, that wants to come through. But I Mm. love that you've put this, what feels very tangible language around it is like you drop the stories, you drop the identity and it's almost like you're at this edge of possibility, very present. Mm -hmm. And it's like things flow there. That's my experience Mm -hmm. energetically. Things flow in that space in a way they can get stuck and tethered when you're like, when I'm attached to a, an identity or a story or something, mm-hmm. the way I think something should be. Mm. So I love and, that. And I've, I, I think I've experienced that. I've actually, strangely enough, I've experienced it in story. Mm. So I've experienced it on stages, talking about storytelling or telling stories when people would say, oh, can you just repeat what you said? And I, and I would have no idea what I've just said because it's yeah. a state of flow. And I'm just, and again, I think it's a, a, a type of, you know, you know, for me, I, I know that these stories don't belong to me. They mm. don't um, come from me. They come through me. And so when I'm telling a, even a fairy tale that's gone through generations of telling through, you know, since the beginning of time, through very often the women of the tribes or the people, the storytellers of the tribes who have handed down stories from generation to generation, and it ends up on my lips. That, that's not my story. Mm. And so when I tell it, I'm accessing the, you know, the knowledge, the wisdom, the culture of, of you know, so, so far beyond me. I can't even begin mm. to tell you where it's from. It's just that which is yeah. there, you know. But I think that if you can create a space where those stories come to be and yeah. this beautiful moment where the listener becomes aware of something in themselves that they've either forgotten or they never knew was there. That's mm. the power of story because yeah. that unleashes a, a sense of, of just wisdom, a sense of um, connection. And, and I think essentially it's a, it's a kind of goodness, you know, it's, it's the power of, of, of the very best in human nature mm. and in, in, and beyond. Yeah. And from an energetic perspective, what you're describing for me is, is a, it's an energetic connection. It's, it feels resonant. You know, when, when I can find myself in, say, your story, then it's like we, we now share, a, it's like a deepening of our relationship, a deepening of the energetic connection between us, which mm-hmm. really, I mean, there's a, there's a power to that in a way that I don't think we can always find on our own. And one of the things we talk about as sacred change makers a lot is the bridging from the me, the individual to the we. And, and that to me is one of the catalysts is if I can find myself in someone else's story, then we're not, we are now a we and not just two isolated individuals. You know, it's interesting. I, I do this um, exercise and I talk about it in the book and, you know, share, I have, people you know think about it and share their own experience but when um i ask people like i do these exercises in storytelling and i've literally asked thousands of people all around the world to do these same exercises and the same 
things come up for people, no matter where they live, no matter what language they speak, no matter what profession they're in. I've done this exercise with tens of thousands of people and we get the same results. And it tells me that we have this universal experience in storytelling and this universal kind of connection through story. And, you know, I've continued, I started doing it years and years ago where I would, I would do these series of exercises just to kind of see, was I going to get the same results every time? And it was <laughs> astounding. It was astounding. And it's the simplest thing. And I can share it with you if you'd like. It, it, it's mm. very short, but it's this, this question of, um, do you remember your first storyteller? Like, who was the person who told you stories as a child? Think about it. It might, might have been a parent or a grandparent or a sibling or a priest or you know, a teacher. Mm. So, so Jane, can you think of your first storyteller? Mm. I think it was probably my mother. Mm. Yeah, I think mm. it probably was. I heard all her so, stories. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so uh, <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> and, and, so, um, and so then I always say to people, you know, there are three questions in this. The first question is, who was your first storyteller? The second question is, where did it take place? And usually it's in, you know, in the kitchen or in mm. the bedroom in, in bed at night or perhaps, um, you know, driving somewhere or, or walking somewhere. Mm. And then I always say, you know, when you were in that situation where, you, where that person was telling you stories, how did you feel? And so I've asked thousands of people these questions. Mm. And two very interesting things happen when I ask these questions. The first thing is when I ask people to, to tell me, okay, so who was it? Where did it took place? Like, tell me who it was, tell me where it took place and tell me how you felt. I can't stop people from telling me the whole story. <laughs> well, it was my mother and it was in the kitchen and she would tell me about this and she would tell me, and I can't stop them, you know, and I, and I, and then I, I you know, and when I'm in a workshop, for example, with, it could be hundreds of people. And I say, this is so interesting. I asked who it was and where it took place. And yet you've told me the entire story. Isn't that interesting? This happens all the time. And then I say to somebody else, so tell me who it was and where it took place. And then they tell me the whole story. It's like, we have this incredible instinct. We cannot stop telling these stories, telling stories. But, but the second thing that happens that's super interesting is that I, I say okay so tell me how you felt and no matter who I have asked and what language or profession or, or gender it doesn't matter the same words come out which is the the universal experience of story and those words are well you tell me what do you think those words are what is the universal experience of story give, give a guess of one or two words how do people feel when they're being told stories as a child I would guess, like, I don't know if people would use these words, but like captivated, like mm -hmm. uh, completely focused in on the story, like giving my full yeah. attention to yeah. what's unfolding, um, yeah. you know. So, yeah, yeah. So, so they feel spellbound and magnetized, yes. which is what you said, but they also yeah. feel, and here's what's interesting, they feel excited. They valued feel, as um, well. They feel valued. They yeah. feel safe. They feel yeah. loved. Yes. Right. Yes. They feel yes. special. Yes. These are the words that come out. And this is a universal experience of story. And what's really interesting is every single person or every single group that I've asked this question to, they all say these same words, loved, safe, valued, connected. Yeah. That's how, that is the universal experience of story, no matter who they are, what country, language and everything. And so I started to, to say, you know, from a business context or, or if you're, you know, trying to create a movement, the more you tell stories, the mm. more you're going to evoke this universal experience of story, which is 
to help people feel connected and loved and safe and respected and excited and compelled and engaged. This is the experience of story. So it's incredibly powerful. And when we use it with a good intention, it just brings people together in a very, very powerful way. See, now I get our title, The Power of Story to Change Our World. Mm -hmm. I get it now because mm -hmm. those are all the, the qualities, if you like, we need to elicit to be able to help people understand like where we are now and, and maybe tell a different story about the world than the one we're telling right now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you know, here's what's interesting. The only exception to this rule, yeah. the only exception to the rule of all these beautiful words and this beautiful universal experience of story is when, and this happens unfortunately more often than I would like, is when there's someone in my group, or there's someone in the room who's experienced abuse as a child. Mm. Mm. And so I remember in, in Scandinavia, in a workshop, one woman told me the story came before the touching. Mm. And a man in another group told me that, you know, the stories were frightening because it always hurt. Yeah. And so, and so this is the case where story does not have a good connotation is when there's abuse, which is, mm. you know, unfortunate but but it but exists and much more so than we would like uh, but i i think also in the context of um the world we're living in now the place where there is pain the place where stories are are hurting and where they're you know where they're doing damage is where there's manipulation and abuse and disrespect and dishonorable behavior and, and so on and so forth um but when it comes from a place of deep you know, commitment and intention and, and, you know, the desire to, to change the world, the desire to make the world a better place. That's when, when storytelling comes into its own, that's when it really has the power to create change and to create, um, you know, and to, to create miracles. I mean, it's amazing what you can do with a powerful story. Well, isn't it? I mean, I'm just sat here thinking of one of the places I used to live where we actually met up once there in Orlando and there we've got Walt Disney and he's turned storytelling into some incredible magical mm -hmm. empire. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and I, I, I understand that there's a, a place for this in harnessing this power in, in, in business and in coaching, mm -hmm. but it feels like there's a place for it in so many different aspects of life to raise our awareness to ourselves, but also the stories we tell, but the stories we invest in as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's also, you know, story is a, is a great way to bring people together and it's also a great way to divide people. And you've seen a lot of divisiveness, you know, political yeah. divisiveness and uh, storytelling yeah. and, you know, storytelling is not new. Um, obviously, you know, it's, it's age old, but here's the thing. When I talk about storytelling in the context of business, I'm, I'm very quick to remind people that, you know, salespeople and marketers have, have been telling stories since the beginning of time, mm -hmm. but very often they were telling the stories that they were creating in order to manipulate or, or right. create a specific outcome that they desired that was not necessarily in the interest of others. Mm -hmm. The storytelling I'm talking about that I think you know, this community will be interested in is the storytelling that comes out of very specific intention mm -hmm. and very specific commitment with the responsibility for the impact it can have. 
Because right. I think that as a, as a storyteller, you have an awesome responsibility to, to do no harm because you can do a lot of harm with stories. And we've seen that since the beginning of time. We've seen the kind of stories that create movements of hatred and movements mm. of aggression and violence and, and, and slavery and, and, and abuse. And you know, we've seen the stories that create that. So I think that, that it's incredibly, it's, it's incumbent upon us to, to take responsibility for the stories that we put out into the world and the stories we put out into our lives because our stories often create an, an awful lot of pain in our own lives and in, in our own kind of perception of reality. And so at some point we have to be able to stand up and say, okay, I am going to intentionally and very clearly take responsibility for the stories I'm telling, whether it's to my community or to my, in my business, to my clients or in my church or in my heart and in my family, I'm going to take responsibility for those stories and I'm going to do them, I'm going to create them and tell them with much more positive intention and, and with the desire to create a better world, a better environment, better families, better relationships. Yeah. And you said one word there that I just want to pull out so that the listeners don't miss it. You talked about movements that have been created mm-hmm. by story and it seems to me that that's like a a core piece of this is that stories move people. Mm. There's not, it's almost Mm. like there's not a static energy with a story that it engages, it moves people in a way. So of course it can be used for negative intentions as well as positive Mm -hmm. ones. And part of me is wondering about how we move from the story and because of course I live in the United States of America so here we have a very very strong pervasive cultural story of the individual right it's all about me 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 it's the I right Mm -hmm. that that reigns supreme here in America Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because I wonder how we shift the story of, of something like a nation of a world from you know Mm to something that is much more, and for me, you see, I'm also aware that as I'm saying this, I'm telling you my value set, I'm telling you what I value in the world, because mm-hmm. one of the things I've heard, and I'm not, I don't want to get into the political conversation, but I've heard a lot about, you know, there's a lot of fear here of mm-hmm. America becoming a socialist company, uh, country, and there's mm-hmm. a lot, a lot of people who don't want that, and I can't quite work out why? And I've had some deep conversations with people who believe that to try and get to the crux of it. But shared stories must mm. be harder to transform. <laughs> um, that's a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting comment. And I'm yeah. not sure I'm, I'm that equipped to, to answer it other than to say, um, I think that there's, you know, there are cultural norms and there are also cultural you know, there's fashion and trends yeah. and stories can be very viral and, yeah. and be very catching. And so, you know, very kind of contagious. Yeah. And, and I think that um, if you go back to the origin of storytelling, there, there's this very interesting, um, firstly, you know, stories originate in community. So you, that's where they come from. They come from sitting around the fire. They come from, you know, washing the clothes in the river. They come from the marketplace. This is where stories were passed on from generation to generation. And stories have always had the ability to tell us who we are in the world. You know, mm. we, we, we understood 
we understand our place in the world by the stories that were told as children, which raises a, a, a question that I also ask in, in my book, which is, you know, are we as, as um, modern um, parents, modern people willing to have TikTok and Twitter and Instagram define our children's, you know, sensibility of who they are in the world? And, and we need to bring back more kind of original kind of indigenous storytelling into our existence. And, and there's, by the way, there's a lot of movement towards that, towards more um, kind of old style storytelling. But here's the thing, you know, I, I'm, I, I always feel like, you know, if the story is not going well, and if the story has a happy, you know, if the story has a, a bad ending or a difficult ending, it just tells me that it's not over yet. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like the eternal, <laughs> the eternal optimist. I, I think, yes, we're going through a period it's not just in America. I think that the individualism has taken over. You know, it's a, it's a global thing very much, and it's it's fueled by the media and it's fueled by commercialism. It's fueled by all kinds of stuff. But I also think that there's more and more of a drive to community. And I think if yeah. anything, the pandemic has shown us how much we suffer when we're disconnected. Yeah. How difficult it is to be out of community and out of touch. And so, if if we've learned anything this year, perhaps we've learned that we need to share our stories and we need to share our lives and, and be connected and be, and, and be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Perhaps this is the message we needed in order to get back to telling stories. And, you know, I keep saying to people, we're living the stories now that we're going to be telling for the rest of our lives because this is such a strange experience this year, but hopefully we will be telling them and we will be sharing them and we will be craving because story, you know, story just feeds on connection and yeah. community. And so no matter how isolated you feel you're living right now, as you begin to tell stories, you begin to connect more and more. So, I mean, I don't know, I, I don't have any smart answers to that, to that, to what you're proposing, but I, I do feel in some ways that story fixes a lot of things that might be broken and, yeah. and we just need to be doing more of it. Yeah. So well said. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, Lisa, I'm noticing the time. And so I just want to ask you one final question. You know, finally, if there was something you'd want to share with our listeners, something you'd hoped we'd get to today, you know, um, what might it be? Well, so there's two things on, on a, on a personal level, what I said about, you know, this nasty little story that's hanging out in you, that's creating conflict mm. and pain. If you can, if this message, if there's one message that comes through from today, I want you to understand uh, the listener that that story is not true. It never is true. So it's time to look at it and to let it go and to get it out somehow to transform that story because that's the story that's creating pain. Mm. And without that story, you may be able to do things you don't think you can do. That's the first thing. And the second thing on a more practical basis is that I've, I've recently been able to put together really my, what I see as my life's work in storytelling in this book called The Story Advantage. Mm. And I would love to share that because it's got some beautiful stories. It's got some fairy tales. It's got personal stories. It, it's got stories about my family. It's, <laughs> it's just kind of the place where I've managed to... Um, really tell the story of this work for over a decade. And I would love to share it with your community. Yeah, lovely. We'll definitely put the links for that in the show notes. Definitely. 
Oh, Lisa, my gosh, thank you so much. I, I've really enjoyed our conversation as always. And I, I know our listeners will have learned so much from you. So really from the depths of my heart, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. Okay, guys, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Before we go, I want to remind you that all the resources and the links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. And our growing community of changemakers are actually our sponsors who help us to keep doing our work in the world. We're a network of people committed to making the world a better place. We support each other to grow personally and professionally, and together we're making a direct impact aligned with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website. So if you're interested, I invite you to take a look. It's time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. Together, we can make a meaningful difference. Again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.